It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. You should consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence and base all financial decisions on your specific situation. The show is furnished by Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor. Rick Edelman is also a registered representative and principal of Sanders Morris Harris, an affiliated broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Now. Here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy weekend to you. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for joining me on the program today. And we're going to take as many phone calls as we can fit into the program. We had a lot last weekend, but that's, you know, it doesn't really count because that was Memorial Day weekend. And uh, if you're not at the beach or the mountains on Memorial Day, you're calling me on the radio. And that's what you can do this weekend as well. 888-PLAN-RICK. Dial me up right here, right now. 888-752-6742. There's an amazing set of statistics that has just come out from the IRS. And I I think that it's time to change the rules. Let me ask you this question. If you need cash, and I don't mean the 30 bucks to tide you over for today, you know, that you go to the ATM. I mean you need $3,000. Maybe $30,000. What asset, what resource are you going to tap into to get that cash? Historically, the answer was a home equity loan. Because historically, people had lots of home equity built up. You know, you bought your house... Some years ago, and the house rose in value throughout the 1980s, if you bought it in the 1990s, even if you bought it in the early 2000s, and by definition, remember the the housing boom that we had? It was routine for people to discover that their homes had increased in value 50%, 75%, 100% or more. So if they need 20 grand, 50 grand, whatever, Tap into that home equity loan. And especially as interest rates continue to go down, the cost of that cash out refi, you could cash out 50 grand and your monthly payment wouldn't change. Because although the mortgage balance would go up, the interest rate would go down. So the net result was that your balance, your, your monthly payment was, was pretty much the same. Well, those days are long gone, aren't they? These days, uh, so many Americans over the last 10 years lost their homes due to the credit crisis of 2008. So many others experienced such a decline in home values that today they don't have that luxury of going to get a home equity loan or home equity line of credit to grab 20000 or $50,000. So if you need that cash, where can you turn to get it? Well, it isn't your home equity anymore. You know what has replaced home equity loans as the predominant source of cash? You've probably guessed it. It's your retirement account. Ah! Yeah. It's premature withdrawals 
from retirement accounts. That has become America's new piggy bank. According to the IRS, the federal government collected $5.7 billion in penalties in 2011, the most recent year we have data for, meaning Americans in 2011 withdrew $57 billion from retirement accounts before they were supposed to, meaning before they actually retired, before they were reached age 59 and a half. Because if you take money from a retirement account, and I don't care whether it's a 401k or a 403b or a thrift savings plan or an IRA, Whatever kind of retirement account you've got, if you withdraw the money prematurely, typically prior to age 59 and a half, you're going to pay a 10% penalty. You're also going to pay taxes. I'm not even talking about the taxes. The IRS collected $5.7 billion in penalties in addition to the taxes, which means Americans withdrew $57 billion from their retirement accounts prematurely. All in, 4% of all U.S. households paid a penalty in 2011. 4% of U.S. households withdrew money. In fact, the U.S. government now collects 37% more money from early withdrawal penalties than it did in 2003. Meanwhile, the amount of home equity loans is 38% lower than it was in 2003. So in 2003, Americans were getting money from their home equity. Today, they're getting money from their IRAs and retirement accounts. The sad part, of course, is that the very same thing that happened to you with that home equity loan, everybody who, you know, they bought a house for 200 grand, it rose to 400 grand, they pulled out another 150 in home equity, only to then have 2008 hit, and the $400,000 house fell back to 200 grand, but they now have 350 grand worth of debt on it. They lose their job, and it wasn't long before they lost their house. Does that story sound at all familiar? That's what America went through in 2008. Well, guess what's happening now? The very same kind of setup. Because people are pulling money out of their retirement plans prematurely, you got to ask the question, why? It's not to buy cars and vacations and jewelry. It's to pay for college and, more importantly, to tide you over when you're out of work. If you lose your job and you got to pay your bills, what asset are you going to turn to? The only asset you've got, and that's your retirement plan at work. Which means you're getting hit with the penalty at the exact moment you're most financially vulnerable. The very moment you're out of work and you don't have any cash, you turn to the one asset available to you, and you're not only going to pay taxes on that withdrawal, you're also going to pay a 10% IRS penalty on top of it. This is a crisis of national proportion. If the IRS is collecting $6 billion in penalties annually, from 4% of U.S. households, doesn't that suggest that the penalty is not doing its job and that we really need to rethink it? Think about this. The reason that Congress created the penalty was simple. Congress said, look, we will give you an inducement to save for retirement. What's the inducement? You don't have to pay taxes on the profits. In fact, Congress said, we'll make it even more enticing. We'll give you a tax deduction when you contribute. So if you put a dollar into your 401k, we won't tax you on the dollar. 
and the profits on the dollar will grow tax deferred. This is a wonderful inducement. This is what makes 401ks the best place to save. But wait, Congress says, if we're going to give you these benefits, we also want to give you a stick. If we're going to give you a carrot, let's give you a stick. And the stick is this. Leave the money there until retirement. If you withdraw the money prior to retirement, we're going to hit you with a 10% penalty. This is Congress's way of saying, we want you to leave the money alone until you retire. You need the money in retirement. Trust me, you're going to be happy that the money is there when you're in your 60s. So to discourage you from withdrawing the money prematurely, we're going to hit you with a penalty. The theory was that the penalty would cause you to not make that early withdrawal. Due to the penalty, you would avoid the distribution. You'd say, oh my goodness, I don't want to take the money from that account because I'll have to pay a penalty. It's obviously, though, not working. It's obviously not working. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of families are incurring the penalty, not because they don't care, but because they don't have any choice. I don't believe it was Congress's intent to slap a penalty onto someone who makes a withdrawal because they're out of work and facing massive bills in order to maintain their homes, clothes, food, and medicine for themselves and their families. Why are we hitting them with a penalty punitively when these people are doing what they have no choice but to do? It's time to eliminate the 10% penalty associated with IRA withdrawals prior to 59 and a half. We really need to take a serious look at this data because it is shocking. And it also reinforces the incredible importance of you engaging in proper financial planning so that if you are faced with a job loss, you aren't finding yourself forced to withdraw your retirement accounts early. This is why we're doing our seminar right now on retirement savings. Your retirement plan at work is the most important asset you have going for you in an effort to achieve financial security. And I really want you to come to the seminar this coming week. It's going to be in Greenbelt, Maryland, Livingston, New Jersey, Towson, Maryland, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Northbrook, Illinois. Next week, it's going to be in Ashburn, Uniondale, Staten Island, Manhattan, Novi, Woodland Hills, and Denver. Get all the details on our website at rickedelman.com. It's $15 a person, $25 a couple. If you attend, you'll get a free copy of my brand new number one bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Learn everything you need about premature withdrawals, penalties, and taxes so that you can avoid that mess and ensure that your retirement will be everything you need it to be. Your phone calls when we come back. 888-PLAN-RICK. RickEdelman.com. Stay with us for more. More with the host of the award-winning PBS TV series, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. We're going to take your phone calls in a second, but it didn't take long because a couple of folks during the break said, Rick, wait a minute. Why don't those people just borrow the money out of their 401k instead of withdrawing the money? Because if you borrow the money, then you don't have to pay the taxes and the 10% penalty. Well, it's not quite so simple. Number one, 
you can't borrow the money if you've lost your job. Number two, you can't borrow the money if it's in an IRA or many other kinds of retirement accounts. And number three, borrowing is just as deadly and evil as withdrawing because there's really no such thing as borrowing from your 401k. You're actually withdrawing the money. They call it a loan, but it's really not. You're actually withdrawing the money from the plan. The money is no longer there continuing to grow. And you have to repay the money within five years. If you lose your job, you've got to repay the money within 90 days, typically. If you don't, you're back to the taxes and 10% penalty all over again. And the worst part is this. Even if you do repay the money, you end up with double taxation. Because you're repaying the money with after-tax dollars, but when you later withdraw the money in retirement, you're taxed all over again. This is why studies have shown, as I talk about in my new book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, studies have shown that every $10,000 you borrow reduces your future balance by $100,000. Do not borrow from your retirement plan in an effort to solve your cash flow problem. We're heading off to Woodbridge, Virginia. Don is standing by. Welcome to the program, Don. How are you? Hi. How are you? Terrific, thanks. How can we help? Well, uh, I'm the executor for my mom's estate. She lived in Louisiana. I'm in Virginia. She died in November, and uh, I've been able to take care of every pretty much everything. There's only two issues left. One is the sale of the house, which is on its way. She also had a brokerage account and an IRA with a financial institution, and she worked closely with a young lady uh, to manage that while she was alive. I'm not understanding some of the things that this uh, young lady is telling me about how to liquidate this IRA and this brokerage account. Uh, I could give you the name of the company if you need it. No, that's not necessary. What's she telling you, though? Well, my brother and I are wondering whether she knows what she's doing, but she says she's done this before. We filled out paperwork. I've sent a letter of intent of instructions. Well, let's back up. What is it you're trying to accomplish? What do you want to have happen? Uh, well, I want to liquidate the accounts. And okay distribute the money to my my brother and I like we've done everything else. There were annuities with the same company, but mm-hmm. there was a beneficiary listed, right. which worked real fine. So your mother had a, had a brokerage account, and it was a taxable account. It was in her name only. Yes. And you, okay. as, you as the executor of the estate want to make an instruction to the brokerage firm to liquidate that account. Now, was it an IRA account or a taxable account? That your mother had. Um, there was well, I know the terminology I have is a brokerage account and IRA. That's the statements that I'm getting. All right, it was an IRA account, therefore. Yes, she recently has gotten information from both of us and wants to set up an intermediate, like a state account, and then create accounts for both of us to transfer the funds into those two accounts, from which we can withdraw or manage on our own okay it's it's possible it's it's certainly fine to do it the way she is describing but it is also unnecessary part of the reason she's trying to do it that way is to retain the assets because if she sends you closes the account sends you a check she loses the account she doesn't want to do that well she's going to she loses going to lose the account anyway right, so i'm not understood so it's real simple here's that. here's the deal since this account was an ira account there should have been a bez- beneficiary designation on it According to her, and according to any paperwork I get, there isn't any. Now, she mentioned something called a transfer upon death, but my mom did not execute that uh, paperwork to show that that's what she wanted to do. Hang on a a second, Don, because you're giving me several different conflicting pieces of information. I know. The account registration, you're looking at the statement right now? 
Um, I, I have it here. And what does and it say? What does it say as the owner of the account? When you're looking at the mailing label on the statement, what does it say? Read it to me. Okay, the the IRA, it's IRA, P-H-O, my mom's name, Pershing LLC, excuse me, Pershing LLC as custodian. All right, now, that account is an IRA, and you're telling me that there is no record of your mother naming a beneficiary to that account. Is that correct? According to the information I've gotten, yes. Okay, and is there a separate account in addition to that? There's one called Brokerage Account Statement, a separate number. It's got her name, and then it says, actually, it says TOD. Okay. And, and when, then what? TOD what? Dated 6-26-13. Yeah. Does it have somebody else's name? No. Okay. So the accounts have been set up incorrectly. That's the first reason to fire this broker for doing it wrong. Here, so let's talk about the IRA first. Since okay. there was no beneficiary named on the account, your mother's estate is the beneficiary, and you as the executor of the estate have the authority to instruct the broker to liquidate the account, send you a check, paid, made payable to the estate, and then you distribute the money in accordance with um, the estate's uh, distribution rules, according to your mother's will. So that's simple and easy. You, all the other nonsense the broker told you about, let's set up these intermediary accounts and distribute the money that way and blah, 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 skip all that. Just say to her, write me a check for the value of this account made payable to the estate, and you receive that check and uh, distribute it in accordance with the way you're distributing everything else. The TOD account... You, you, you said payable to the estate. I have an estate checking account set up. Yes, and, the, and you'll deposit that, the check she sends you into that checking account. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, that was original. my original dealings with her to try to do that. And do, she's throwing SEC rules. Nonsense. And, it's all nonsense. Just <sighs> and go to her branch manager. Bypass her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. I, I don't know why she's creating this nonsense. Just say, let me talk to your branch manager. They'll facilitate it. It's no big deal. Uh, well, r real quick, the reason I'm not persistent and a little bit more agitated as I've been with some of the other things is that she was a good friend of my mom. They had lunch and everything. And I'm trying to work with her and not... Uh, Stop. I don't care. This is money. It's not a question of relationships anymore. We're done. This is why your mother worked with her, and she obviously wasn't doing the job that she needed to be doing. We're finished with that. The other account, the TOD account, it was set up incorrectly as well, so that is another regular account uh, going to the estate in the very same way. A simple phone call saying, I'm the executor, I'm instructing you to liquidate these accounts, send me a check, being payable to the estate, you should have a check in three to five business days. Period. End of story. You don't have that? Now it's time to talk to the branch manager, and they'll take care of it for you. Stay tuned for more on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. For more information on what you need to do now, go to rickedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. We're taking your phone calls. Dial me up right here right now, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. I was a little rushed on the last phone call and didn't get a chance to say everything that I really wanted. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Say that is often the bane of radio, you know, up against the clock. Um, and, uh, and so I want to elaborate on two points because they were both really fascinating in that uh, telephone call. First, he said uh, toward the end there that his mom was dealing with a really good friend of hers... Uh, and that's why the brokerage account was set up with this woman because she was a good friend of his mom's. Well, okay, great, fine, but so what? Money is money. This is a business transaction. It's a business relationship, and we cannot allow, cannot allow the personal relationship to trump what is necessary for you and your family to accomplish. And the reason I cite that is that it is very common for people to do business with friends. I mean, think about it. You don't do business with enemies. So who's left <laughs> doing business with friends? And as a result, sometimes people, um, they're more tolerant uh, of mistakes. They're, um, they rationalize. Uh, oh, I, you know, they're going through a rough time now. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a hassle. They're a good friend of mine. They would never do me wrong. You know, we, we come up with all kinds of justification, rationalization to explain away uh, our dissatisfaction or lack of complete um, happiness over what's going on. And you just can't do that. In other words, if you're going to do business with a friend or worse, a family member, then you have to acknowledge that at the end of the day, business is business and you need to be treated the same as all other clients. Not better than, not different than, but the same as all other clients. Because if you expect or demand deviation, you know, you're, you work nine to five, but I get to call you on weekends. No. You work at an office, but I get to call you at home. No. Because if you're going to expect different special treatment. I'm your good friend, so you should give me a discount. No. If you're going to expect those kinds of things, then you're going to have to suffer the inability to get in their face when things aren't going the way you need them to go. If an error occurs, if an administrative hiccup develops and so on. You, if you both are unwilling to treat it as an arm's length transaction, then you shouldn't work together. And quite frankly, that's one of the unwritten rules that we've adopted in our practice, and, and most of us realize this, we generally don't work really closely with friends and family, individually. We, work, we assign friends and family to other advisors in the firm because we don't want the emotion to color either the relationship or the effectiveness of the advice. 
what do they say? A doctor's uh, doctor who treats himself is a fool for a patient. It's only a little bit less so if you're treating a really good friend or family member uh, in the same way. So that's number one. Don't allow the fact that it's my mother's best friend is the broker. Don't allow that fact to stop you from doing what you need to do to handle the account. Second point is that very often we turn to stockbrokers or financial advisors predominantly for help with investments. But along with that comes the estate planning implications. The very first one is, how are you going to register the account? Is it going to be a joint account? Is it going to be an account in your name only? Is it going to be a TOD, transfer on death account? Are we going to have it in a trust account? Who are the beneficiaries if there are beneficiary designations available, such as in an IRA or an annuity account or an insurance policy? Who are the beneficiaries? Are, are we thinking them through correctly? Do we recognize the implications of these decisions? And very often, stockbrokers... Uh, financial advisors are not well-trained. They're not skilled in these kinds of issues. This is why you need not just an investment advisor, but a financial advisor. Someone who is a genuine financial planner who can help you understand that it's not just the investments you buy, it's how you buy them. In whose name? What if Opening a TOD account, as our last caller did, or his mom did, opening a TOD account, but not naming the heir is incompetence. Not on his mom's part, but on her broker's part. I don't expect mom to know this, but I expect her broker to know it. And if the broker doesn't, the broker's incompetent. Do you really want to be handling your life savings with someone who lacks competency? I don't care that they're your best friend. In fact, if you want to stay my best friend, then help me get the advice that I need. Hope that makes some sense. Let's continue with our telephone calls. You can join the party as well. Triple eight plan Rick. If you've got confusion about how your accounts are registered or confusion about the beneficiary designations or the tax implications or the kinds of investing you've got, what are those investments? What are you paying for them? Are there annual expenses? What are the commissions? What are the loads? What are the surrender charges? Give me a call right here, right now. Triple eight plan Rick. That's triple eight seven five two sixty seven forty two. We're off to Maryland. James is on the phone. How are you, James? Welcome to the show. Yes, Rick. Um, I have a question about Roth IRAs and distributions of those. Okay. I've gotten two uh, pieces of advice. My broker says that at seventy and a half, there's an automatic distribution of Roth IRAs, and. My, I got a letter from my congressman who says under the Obama law that uh, there will be an automatic distribution starting at 70 and a half. Can you tell me which is the case? Why did you get a letter from your congressman about this? Did you solicit that information? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. So he was he was answering your question. I got you. Right. Uh, and uh, I assume and you I, asked... I wrote to several people because when you mentioned that... Uh, the president was proposing changes to the Roth IRAs. Yes. I you... wrote to several, uh, to two senators and congressmen about it, saying I wasn't, I didn't like the idea. Gotcha. Okay, so let me back up and explain to, to what's going on. First of all, your broker is wrong. Under okay. current law, you do not have to begin withdrawals from the Roth IRA at any given point. You do not have to do that. That's one of the advantages of the Roth IRA. 
is that you have to withdraw you withdraw the money whenever you want. And the reason you don't have to withdraw the money at any given point is because it's tax-free. So the IRS's attitude is, it doesn't matter when you take the money because we're not going to get any of it. So whether you take it at age 60 or 70 or 90, it doesn't make any difference to the government because they're not going to get any taxes out of it. So there is no obligation to withdraw the money at any given point. There are penalties if you withdraw the money prior to 59 and a half. There are penalties if you withdraw the money uh, before um, you've left it in the account for a minimum period of time. These are the ways that the IRS and Congress motivate you to leave the money there for long periods and so on. But aside from that, there is no obligation to withdraw the money at any given moment. This is very different from ordinary IRAs. If you have a traditional IRA, also called a deductible IRA, you do have to begin to make withdrawals around the age of 70 and a half. But the Roth does not have that obligation. However, as I said, so first of all, your broker is wrong, dead wrong. And that really scares me because this is a fundamental fact of retirement assets. And if your broker doesn't understand that fundamental fact, I'm a little worried about what else he doesn't understand. So that worries me a little bit about the quality of the knowledge of your advisor. Second, there is a proposal as I mentioned here on the program a couple of months ago, there is a proposal put forth by the president in his budget proposal to Congress that would require that Roth accounts begin to be distributed at age 70 and a half, just like all of the other IRA accounts. It is a proposal by the president. It has not yet been approved by Congress. And we have to wait and see if Congress, in fact, will... Um, execute that in accordance with the president's uh, request. But it's only a proposal, so your congressman was correct. The letter you received from your member of Congress was accurate. Uh, it is not a current law, but it has been recommended by the president, and we will have to wait to see what Congress does about it. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Could I follow up with one more question? Sure. Uh, I'm considering uh, putting together a million dollars in one account within the next two, two three years. Uh-huh. Does that sound wise? Well, explain to me where the money is currently. It's in a variety of different accounts? Right. I have uh, two or three checking accounts, and I have a big uh, uh, account with a brokerage. Okay. And, this, and when you say you're talking about... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Putting all the money consolidating into one account, are you talking about a brokerage account or a bank account? Well, the the money that's not being used in all the, the accounts I have is um, a bank account, in other words, uh, under the rules of FDIC. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to answer your question. Should you consolidate your different accounts into one big account? And if you do that, does it make any difference where you do that? I'm going to answer both of those questions with another little side comment when we come back. Stay with us for more on The Rick Edelman Show. We're talking with James. Triple H, Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. Stay with us.
subscribe to Rick's award-winning newsletter, Inside Personal Finance, at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here, and we're uh, continuing our conversation with James. You can join the party as well. If you've got a question like James does, uh, or Francis, uh, we'll talk with Francis as well. Give me a call right here, right now, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742 here on The Truth About Money. And if you can't reach me during the program, no problem. Just call me during the week. And uh, my colleagues and I at Edelman Financial, happy to return your phone call and get you the answers to the information you need about your personal finances, 888-752-6742. So, James, your second question was that you've got uh, a bunch of money in a bunch of different accounts, and you're thinking of consolidating all of them and and putting a million dollars into a single account. Is that about right? right? That's right. And uh, the real question is, how is that money invested right now? Well, a lot of the money is not doing anything. No, no, that wasn't my question. Don't give me an evaluation of it. I'll tell you if it's doing anything or not. You, you just tell me where is it invested. It's mostly, uh, uh, but at least half of it, more uh, half of more than half of the of the money is in checking accounts. Okay. Very little. And where's the other rest of it? Uh, the rest is in my, uh, owning uh, securities, stocks, and bonds. Right. Mutual funds and the like. Okay. Right. And you said you have really no plans on spending this money anytime soon. That's correct. Okay. So what I would recommend is that we look at this holistically. Uh, there is an advantage to consolidating. We often find people, they come to us and they've got accounts all over the place. They have an account with a bunch of mutual fund companies. They have brokerage accounts with a different brokerage firm. They have accounts at a, at a discount uh, firm, others at a uh, full service brokerage firm. They've got bank accounts at three different banks. They have money market accounts. They've they just got stuff. It's like stuff in your attic. Where did all this come from? And what is in there? And why do we own it? And and how long have we owned it? And the paperwork is such a nuisance. The tax reporting is a hassle. It does make a lot of sense to consolidate. There's no reason not to. So in the course of consolidating, the first thing you have to do is look at it holistically. I don't want to talk about one account when you actually have a total of seven. I want to talk about all seven accounts all at the same time. And I don't want to look at the investment in this one account. Like you said, you've got a bunch of money in a checking account earning nothing. But I also want to talk about the stocks and bonds and mutual funds you have in that other account simultaneously, because I want to build for you a comprehensive, holistic asset allocation. How much of of all the money you've got, how much of it should be in stocks versus bonds versus foreign securities versus uh, CDs and the like. By building a comprehensive asset allocation model, we can help improve the return. We can help control the risk. We can help reduce the fees. We can help increase the liquidity. We can help prepare the account for distribution from an estate planning perspective. We can reduce the paperwork. We can provide lots of advantages. So rather than saying, would it be okay to put all this money in a bank account? Well, we could do that, but it ignores the asset allocation issues. It ignores the tax management issues. It ignores the 
uh, convenience factor. It ignores the rate of return objective, the risk management objective. So I'd rather look at it from that perspective. Let's also keep in mind that if you were to throw all of this money into a single bank account, you have an issue with FDIC, as you noted earlier, because individual accounts are only insured by FDIC to a quarter of a million dollars. So we would want to, if that is the correct answer, we would want to manage that correctly so that the entire million is covered by FDIC, which is possible to do, but not by putting all the money into a single bank account. That doesn't do it. You'd have to have multiple bank accounts with several different types of account registrations or several different banks. Well, there is a way to do it. Of course. There's always a way to do everything. That's my job, is to tell you what that solution is. Your job is to tell me what it is you want to accomplish. You don't need to be an expert in the solution. You need to be an expert in the problem, which you are. Think about it when you go to the doctor. When you go to the doctor, you say, hey, doc, it hurts when I go like this. You don't talk to the doctor about what the cause of the problem is or what the treatment plan ought to be. You don't go up to the doctor and say, hey, doc, give me that purple pill. No, 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 no. You say, hey, doc, it hurts when I go like this. And let the doctor tell you what you ought to do about that. So you are an expert in your symptoms. You have a bunch of money in a different set of accounts. You would like to consolidate those accounts. You would like to be getting a better return on those accounts. Those are three things you've told me. And that is your expertise. Now leave it to me to tell you what you ought to do about it to solve those concerns. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's really that simple. I would encourage you, therefore, James, to talk with a financial advisor. We happen to have an office very close to you where you live in Gaithersburg. We have an office in North Bethesda. Uh, so we're very happy to sit down with you and go through your accounts and figure out for you exactly how to solve the problem in an ideal way, how to minimize the taxes, minimize the fees, minimize the risk, and generate the returns that you're looking for. That's what we do for a living. That's what any financial advisor does for a living. So whether you call us or call somebody else, call somebody. Because that is how you're going to get accomplished what you're trying to get accomplished okay James thank you so much for your call I really appreciate it um, it's really important that we understand the proper way to go about the financial planning process you don't need to be an expert in all this stuff I mean I encourage you to be knowledgeable I want you to have familiarity with the conversation. It makes you a better client. It makes you wealthier. It's beneficial if you can have an intelligent, meaningful conversation with an advisor, with an attorney, with an accountant. That makes a great amount of sense. But that doesn't mean you got to go get a law degree. It doesn't mean you need to become a certified public accountant. It just means you need to understand the difference between a stock and a bond. You need to understand what happens to bonds when interest rates go up or down. You need to understand how compound growth works. You need to understand amortization on a mortgage. If you understand the basic concepts, it makes it easier for you to have a meaningful conversation with a professional so that you'll understand what they're saying. You'll also understand what questions you ought to be asking. But at the end of the day, even without any of that, I mean, now you know why I've written eight books and why we do seminars all around the country and why I do this radio show. It's to give you that fundamental knowledge and information. But at the end of the day, the only thing you do need to be an expert in, the thing you do need to know better than anyone else, is you. What is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that's concerning you? What is it that worries you? What are your hopes and aspirations? 
What is your attitude about risk? What is your timeline? If you can answer those basic questions, here's what I want to accomplish, here's how I feel about risk, here's when I want to achieve my goals, if you can tell me that, we can tell you how to get there. You tell me where you want to go, I'll tell you how to get there. We'll take care of the paperwork, we'll take care of the details, you delegate the chores to us while remaining in control yourself. Let us help you. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. Visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. And we'll help you like we've helped tens of thousands of others just like you. Stay with us for more. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Providing personal finance advice for 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Well, I guess it was bound to happen. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. I'm glad you're hanging around this half hour. Join the party, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6740. I guess it was... I don't know why it never occurred to me that this would be the case, but it finally has. If you've been a longtime listener to this radio show, I've been doing this program now, I guess, 23 years now, and um, a lot of folks um, are looking for additional information about me or about my firm or the articles and education that we offer uh, on our website. So I invite you to go to my website, rickedelman.com. But as I tell folks, hey, you know, check me out at rickedelman.com, or here's, you know, we have a ton of financial education information, lots of articles, um, excerpts from my books, um, all of these radio shows, the podcasts are available for you to download for free from my website. Um, my TV shows, uh, my, this, we've got our third season now is up uh, for my PBS television show. So all three seasons are available for free to download uh, at my website, rickedelman.com. You can register for our seminars at rickedelman.com. The problem, though, is that no one knows how to spell rickedelman.com. It's my mom's fault uh, because there's no K on my name. Um, it's it's R I C, and that's the and that's not even the worst part of it. Edelman, that's my dad's fault. How do you spell Edelman? I've seen it spelled a thousand ways. And by the way, there's no R in Edelman. You would not believe how many times people spell my name inserting an R somewhere in there. Anyway, to make it simpler and easier, I tell you to go to RickEdelman.com or RiceDelman.com. Because nobody can spell Rick Edelman, but everybody can spell Rice Delman. So go to ricedelman.com. People walk up to me on the street and they say, hey, Rice, how you doing? That's how I know they listen to the show, because this is about the only place I ever mention it. So I guess it was bound to happen. I got a voicemail earlier this week. And I played for you the voicemail, but it wasn't. It was a little bit garbled, so I, I couldn't retain it. But the guy said... He sounded muff, muddled and confused, 
because he heard on my voicemail, you know, he called me and I wasn't in the office at the moment, uh, and he got my voicemail. My voicemail says, hi, Rick Edelman here. Sorry I missed your call. Leave a message, blah, blah, blah. And he sounded very befuddled. And he finally said, I, I was calling for Rice Delman. I went to school with a guy named Rice Delman. Who's this Rick Edelman guy? And he hung up. So I guess it was inevitable that I'd discover there really is a guy somewhere in this country whose name is Rice Stellman. It would never have occurred to me. So I apologize to all the Rice Stellmans everywhere. I don't need to be making fun of your name. I'm making fun of mine. So I hope that makes some sense. Um, changing the subject a little bit, you know the top 40. This is American Top 40. I'm Casey Kasem. A long-distance dedication from Mary Kay in Arkansas to Mark in Chile. And the countdown continues on American Top 40. There's no way you don't know that voice. Casey Kasem was, has been on the air for I don't know how many decades uh, doing his weekly radio music countdown shows, the American Top 40 and Casey's Top 40. Casey is now 82 years old and has been embroiled in a bit of a controversy. Uh, reportedly, he has dementia, according to his wife and his uh, daughter. And he has been missing uh, for a few days. Apparently, there's a fight going on between his wife of many years and his children and stepchildren. His wife, who has legal uh, authority over Casey, uh, power of attorney, and apparently also uh, guardianship, uh, has prohibited his children from seeing him to the point where she relocated Casey from their home in California to the state of Washington without telling anybody. And the children were now frantic because they didn't know where their father was and they've been prohibited from seeing him. And the courts are now involved, both in California and in Washington state, regarding the care and welfare of Casey Kasem and the management and control of his assets. The reason I cite this story is not because it's you know one of those interesting celebrity stories, but because it is an illustration of the kinds of elder issues that are becoming increasingly common. You are... Right now, I'm willing to bet, in full control of your life, and certainly in full control of your personal finances. You pay your bills, you make your deposits, you manage your assets, you prepare your tax return or hire people to do these things to help you. And you've been doing it this way for many, many years, and you are very well practiced in making sound financial decisions. You know how to buy a car. You know how to buy a home. You know how to handle repairs. You know how to hire uh, handymen and, and repair folks. You know how to choose doctors and lawyers and so on. But it's also true that as we age, the risk of dementia or Alzheimer's or other similar diseases is going to occur. According to the federal government, half of all Americans over the age of 85, half suffer from dementia. So what happens if you discover that you no longer have the ability to manage your affairs the way you always have? You will want to turn to your spouse to provide that for you or to your children. But if you're aging out, so is your spouse. 
what happens if your spouse predeceases you, which happens to women 80% of the time. 80%, according to uh, federal statistics, 80% of women die alone. They die unmarried, divorced, or widowed. Women live longer than men. We know this. And therefore, we can't assume that you're going to have someone in your life to handle your affairs who's always been handling it because one day that person will predecease you or divorce or what have you. So what happens? If Casey was presuming that his wife would take care of him, he's 82. How old is she? And how can we be certain that your spouse is going to be able to provide for you the way that you want? How can you be sure you'll be able to provide for your spouse? And is there estrangement within the family? Casey has stepchildren and children. So what are the relationships going on there? Might there be power struggles as people are trying to maneuver for access to Casey's wealth? You have to think these things through and make sure you have good financial and legal advisors to be on the lookout for you to help make sure that your assets and your own personal well-being from a medical care, from a daily care perspective, remain intact. It's really interesting. A lot of folks think, you know, when you mention the phrase financial advisor, most folks, what pops into their mind, I'll ask you, what pops into your mind? If I mention, if I, if I walk up to you at a cocktail party, and we've never met a whole bunch of people around and you're meeting people and mingling and, I, and you say, hey, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a financial advisor. What pops into your mind is what I do predominantly. I'm willing to bet that you will say investments. Because most people think of financial, I mean, let's face it, I talk about it all the time. My firm manages $13 billion. We're one of the largest investment advisors in the country. And people associate me with investment strategy. We talk an awful lot about investments on this show. It's probably the, the foundation of the nature of this conversation. But what we know, if you were to talk to us in, in our office, talk to any of my colleagues at Edelman Financial, we know that the biggest value and benefit we provide our clients is the ongoing long-term relationship with the client for the safe care of their assets to protect them and serve them in their retirement and predominantly to protect the spouse when one of them dies. Because we typically are the second or third person called when, when somebody dies. They'll call somebody really close to them, a, a child or a family member, member of the clergy, and then they call us. And we know that we really shine at that point. So I'll just ask you the question. When your spouse or partner dies, who will you call? <clears throat> when you die, who will your spouse or partner call? If there isn't that person in place, now is the time to put it into place. Because it's tragic enough when you go through these kinds of situations, such as is happening to the Casey Kasem family, but it's made much worse when there's financial fret on top of the emotional distress. Your telephone calls when we come back. Dom, you up right here, right now. Be first in line right after Francis. 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. 
888 or visit us at, you guessed it, ricedelman.com. with the founder of one of the nation's largest independent investment advisory firms, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. We're talking with Frances. She's in Alexandria. Thanks for hanging on so long, Frances. How are you? Good morning on this beautiful morning. Thank you for this program. And let me give a little testimonial. I don't know you. I've never seen you. And I only have had radio contact once years ago with Branderson Anderson. But I would like to encourage everyone to go to your seminars. I've been to the one uh, a couple of years ago at the uh, George uh, Mason, or the, not the George Mason, the Mason Masonic Temple yes. was the first one in on King Street in Alexandria. And the second most recent one was off of Eisenhower Avenue, and I forgot the name of the hotel. Both of these presentations were excellent. I know nothing, but I'm trying to learn. Well, thank you, Francis, for your compliment. And uh, you, you, you know a lot more than you think um, by uh, virtue of your desire to pay attention to this. So thank you. How can I, I help? No, but, but my questions are two different ones. I am the recipient, unfortunately, of a young daughter's IRA. Oh, my. An inherited IRA. Mm-hmm. And um, at this age, I don't know what to do with it. It's it's in the bank now. How much money was it, Francis? Uh, a combination. There were two of them. About three hundred thousand. Okay, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, there, you know, ordinarily when you hear of the notion that, hey, you know, I just got $300,000. You would assume that there'd be a lot of joy and excitement over a windfall. Nope. But boy, this is not at all fun and uh, desirable of any kind. And in fact, the, the thought of the money, the management of the money can only bring pain to you. And uh, I, it, I'm very sorry for, for your loss and the uh, un- untimeliness. No, no parent should have to experience this. Uh, it is important that we do two things. Number one, number one, do nothing fast. Uh, there is no requirement or obligation to do anything urgently. Uh, you should deal first and foremost with your grief. Um, the money, let the money sit. Uh, there's no urgency involved. Uh, second, when you are ready to do uh, to deal with the money, um, meet with a financial advisor who can look at your current circumstances and then fit this new money into that. Recognize something really important. Uh, This young woman, uh, who did a remarkable job of accumulating assets to the point of of amassing $300,000 that she was able to bequeath to you, she did that out of love and respect for you. And you should take this money as a badge of honor in her memory and manage the money prudently, properly, as she would want, and also with one other element, and that is to provide you with joy and security and comfort, because that's what she wanted 
for you. If you, you know this, if you were to ask her the question, she would tell you that she wants the money for your enjoyment and benefit and security and peace of mind. So the first thing I want you to do with this money once we go through the financial planning process and figure out the asset allocation and how to invest the money and how to manage it and how to incorporate it into your uh, net worth and all those kinds of things that we would do for you as a financial advisor, there's one other thing I want you to do really importantly. I want you to take some portion of the money, maybe 5% of it, maybe 10% of it. You decide the amount, whether it's $5,000 or $25,000. You decide the amount. I want you to take that and I want you to squander it. I want you to do something frivolous, something just pure fun, pure simple. Maybe it's donating the money to a charity that, that um, she would enjoy. Or maybe it's buying a big screen TV for yourself or a new car or taking a trip or spoiling other members of the family or doing whatever. And in the course of doing that, you stop and say a prayer or drink a toast in her memory and her honor because that's what well, she would have well, wanted. My- my idea uh, for that money is to donate it to the numerous charities, even though her her income was uh, very small, uh, only after she left. Did we want to make sure that we I are... Uh, I, I think what you're describing is wonderful, but I want to make sure that it is prudent for you to do this, meaning that the absence of the money does not cause you financial harm. Remember, if she wanted to give the money entirely to charity, she could have done that. Instead of naming you as the heir, she could have named the charities as the heirs. She wanted you to have the money. So I want to make sure, before you give it away, that giving it away isn't going to harm you or cause you to be lacking anything. And this is why I don't want you to do this while you're emotional. I don't want you to do this while you're under distress. Let's go slow and take our time. Let it wait six months. Let it wait a year. When you're ready to deal with the issue as a financial issue, not as an emotional family issue, then we can make effective decisions that you won't later regret. So I would encourage you for right now to do nothing, and in six months, come visit with us. Or in a year, whenever it is you're ready, come visit with us, and let's decide what to do. For now, you said the money is sitting in the bank? Great. Leave it there. There's no reason to be in a hurry to do anything different right now. Okay? Right. Now, I have... um also, uh, can I mention, mention the name of a company that her employer had an account in? Sure. Uh, the Fidelity. Mm-hmm. She had a 401k with Fidelity through her her company yeah. retirement plan? Mm-hmm. Okay. Same thing. That account needs to be transferred out of her name and into yours. And we can facilitate that paperwork for you. We can do it right now, if you wish, or we can do it in six months. Again, it's not urgent. It should be done relatively timely, but it's not urgent. So, again, when you're ready to tackle these issues, call us. And, Francis, we'd be more than honored to assist you in this and, in the course of that, honoring your daughter. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Stay tuned for more on the truth about money. 
Don't come up short on your retirement. Get a free 401k review at rickedelman.com. Well, let's take a look at our technology segments. Let's begin with our Bitcoin. Well, last week, welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show, I told you about uh, how a nudist colony in Canada is now accepting Bitcoin uh, as payment. And their attitude is, what could be more perfect for people? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details who don't have pockets. So I guess a virtual currency makes sense for them. And although that was a little bit humorous, this week we have something a little more serious. Dish Network has announced this week that starting this fall, customers will be able to make their payments in Bitcoin. Dish is the largest company yet to accept Bitcoin in payment. We've had other companies like Overstock.com and Virgin America, but Dish has 14 million subscribers and they are now accepting Bitcoin. They're not alone. Guess who else? I guess the, I don't even know why I'm finding this a surprise. The Federal Election Commission has unanimously approved that yes, you can make donations to your favorite political candidate in bitcoin ah! so hey if it's good enough for dish network it's good enough for your local democrat or republican you can also make charitable contributions in bitcoin says the irs uh, meanwhile however researchers have identified a software virus that is secretly using your computer's computer technology and, and computing power to perform the arduous computational process of mining for Bitcoins. So if you've been uh, downloading software from Google Play, your computer might have, might have been infected. And the SEC has issued an investor alert warning investors to beware of investments involving Bitcoin and other virtual forms of currency. Investments might have a heightened form of risk due to fraud. Watch out if someone tells you to buy Bitcoin if they make offers of guaranteed high returns, if the offers are unsolicited, the sellers are unlicensed, if it sounds too good to be true, or if there is pressure to buy right now. Be careful about all of that. And let's bring uh, our singularity segment of the week. This comes from my television show on PBS. This is from an interview with Ramez Nam. Check this out about energy. In the not-too-distant future, there will be a revolution in the way we power everything from smartphones to cars. And scientist Ramez Nam explains that the energy revolution will mean big investment opportunities, not just in the U.S., but across the globe. 
We're in a world with 7 billion people on our way to 9 billion. Only about 1 billion have access to air conditioners, automobiles, and so on. And so the world as a whole needs to increase our energy production by about half over the next few decades. At the same time, we have the problem of climate change, which means that we can't do most of that through fossil fuels and certainly not through coal. So there's a lot of people looking now at the future as being solar and wind and the bridge to that, the interim fuel, really being natural gas that's replacing coal and is poised to replace a little bit of oil. Is this going to solve the problem then, going to solar and going to uh, alternative energy sources? Is this is problem solved? We just have to get there? We can solve the problem, but it's going to take a while. The sun hits the planet with 5,000 times as much energy as we use from coal, natural gas, and oil combined. So there's plenty of energy there, but it's expensive to harness. So it's going to take decades. It's going to take 20, 30, 40 years to make that transition away from oil and coal and even natural gas to solar and wind. Do we have enough oil and gas and coal to last the 30 or 40 or 50 years before solar takes over? We'll see. It's really hard to predict the future. Oil is not looking as good. Uh, what's looking really good right now is natural gas. We've had a huge boom of natural gas in the U.S., and many of the techniques that have unlocked natural gas in the U.S. are things we might be able to export to other countries to unlock their natural gas deposits as well. What's it going to take to make solar the energy source most commonly used? It's really more R&D, more innovation. The cost of solar has gone down by a factor of 20 since 1980 because we've made solar panels thinner, used less materials, made their cost lower. So we're going to have to do that again. We're going to have to cut the cost by about another factor of two, and that'll take another five, ten years. Are you confident that it will happen that fast? It, you can't ever be certain of what's going to happen in the future in energy. The past is littered with bad predictions that didn't come true, but we have a chance. Now let's fast forward to the future. Solar is in place, uh, miraculously, just like that. What do we notice? Uh, what's different in our daily lives when we convert to solar energy compared to oil and gas? Well, I think we'll have a little bit more of our energy being collected at the point that it's used. You'll see solar on rooftops, especially in the southwest and the south of the U.S. Uh, and I think in the long term, we'll see prices come down. Well, you raised a really interesting point. Uh, solar makes a lot of sense in the southwest U.S. where it's bright and hot. Uh, pretty much throughout the entire year. But what happens as you move north? What happens in Canada? What happens in northern Europe? Yep, it's definitely cheaper in some places than other. Uh, and right now it is in the southwest and southern California and Texas where it's cheapest in the U.S., but that moves up. And even places like Seattle, where I'm from, we don't have a lot of sunlight in Seattle, but just over the mountains to the east of us, it's high desert, and we do have a lot of sunlight. So it's possible to move this energy via transmission lines. So that's the short term. In the long term, we have to build energy storage, and that means advanced batteries that can store some of the day's sunlight as electricity for use at night. Almost like a cistern collecting the water when it rains. A lot like that, just the same. If solar is heavily dependent on direct and frequent sunlight, Africa strikes me as a wonderful place for solar development. That's absolutely right. So about a billion people today don't have electricity at all. And for them, uh, it's a poor life, if you will. But they're poised to benefit a lot from the creation of solar panels because those can be spread very easily and cheaply where there is no grid. And because Africa 
and India and parts of Central America get so much sunlight, solar power may actually be cheaper there than it is in the United States or Europe, helping to lift those people out of poverty without making any impact on the climate. Meaning that if companies are looking for workers and they're looking to build factories that they can operate inexpensively from an energy perspective, build the factory in Africa. In many cases, that might be right. And that might be a very good thing for lifting people out of poverty while making things cheaply and cleanly. How can investors take advantage of these new technologies that are being developed in a broad array of energy? There are funds now being founded that invest specifically in wind power, in solar power, in advanced batteries. I would look at all of those. I'd be careful about investing in any one solar company or any one wind company because it's such a competitive marketplace that most of them will go out of business. So invest in the industry rather than the company itself. Absolutely. Uh, and funds enable you to do that through diversification. Absolutely. Uh, and I would assume you have to regard this as high-risk capital. It is high-risk capital. Looking for a long-term uh, payout. That's right. If you have the patience to be in the market for the long term and you're willing to invest broadly, then I think alternative energy can be a great investment for the 10-year, 20-year time frame. Ramos, thank you so much. Thank you. That was uh, Ramiz uh, Nam, who is one of the leading experts in the development of alternative energies, and he's on the faculty of Singularity University, where I've been a guest lecturer and uh, a graduate of their executive program. And Singularity University is bringing its first-ever exponential finance conference to New York City June 10th and 11th at the Lincoln Center. It's designed specifically for the financial services industry. If you like the idea of discovering more about this and how it pertains particularly to the financial services sector, this two-day event is really going to be uh, something special. I will be speaking at the event as well. Uh, the faculty from Singularity University is going to be there covering the subjects of artificial intelligence, big data, 3D printing, exponential medicine, capital innovation, digital biology, networks and computing, digital currencies, cybersecurity, exponential organizations. It's, it's ain't cheap. It's $5,000 a ticket for the two-day event, which is why really it's aimed at Wall Street professionals, money managers, hedge funds, uh, portfolio advisors, uh, C-level executives in the financial services industry to help Wall Street come to grips with what is going on in the field of exponential technologies and how technological innovation is going to radically alter every aspect of the planet and, by extension, have a profound impact on the advice we give our clients and how we deliver that advice. This is why I've been very involved with Singularity University and actually became one of the investors in, in the university a couple of years ago. And uh, you can learn more about this at uh, singularityu.org uh, if you are so uh, interested. But it's uh, really quite fascinating if uh, you discover uh, any level of interest in this. And this explains why I've been bringing to you every week this kind of content of a technological innovation nature, because you're wondering, well, what does this have to do with personal finance? Technological innovation is going to have profound implications on virtually every aspect of our lives. And it's important that we get an understanding of this now so that we are able to prepare uh, our portfolios and our investment management decision making, as well as our total personal finances. Uh, according to what is going to be coming in the next three to five years. It's not that these exponential technologies are coming. Everybody knows that. It's the speed with which they're coming that is catching many by surprise. Stay with us for more on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick. RickEdelman.com. For a wealth of information on personal finance, go to the education page at RickEdelman.com.
Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. It's the truth about money, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Click that red button. I want to talk to an advisor or the green button and go directly to Edelman Online. You can access our investment management services without any human intervention, if that's what you prefer. We're off to Fort Lauderdale now. Arthur, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, uh, Rick. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, my question is, there are so many firms out there with thousands of agents who want to take your money. How do you pick your agents for your company? I mean, when, when you speak to a company, you're talking to different people. Mm-hmm. Every single time you call, right? right. Yeah, it's, it's so a, frustrating. It, it is. It's uh, these days the the number one question consumers are faced with. It used to be, how do I pick investments? Now it's, how do I pick my investment advisor? Exactly. Uh, and it it is a a troubling issue, I find, because if you go to the big firms, you know, the Merrill Lynch, Wells Fargo, UBS, you know, they these outfits have fifteen thousand brokers or financial advisors working in their firms and and they're all doing their own thing and the firms don't care i mean if you go to merrill or or any of the others merrill will say to you that as long as the broker is honest you know he's he's not a crook he's not you know harming people he's following the rules and the regulations he's acting appropriately uh and he's profitable they don't really care whether his advice is to buy a stock or sell a stock, whether he's recommending mutual funds or managed money, whether he's engaging in margin or leverage, whether he's shorting the market or going long, whether he's selling annuities or selling um, ETFs. Merrill doesn't care. Merrill is basically a product distributor, and they hire their brokers to distribute those products, and different brokers can choose what products they choose to distribute to their clients. Uh, so there's no continuity. So the relationship or the experience that you have at a firm like Merrill is going to be far more dependent on the rep at Merrill than on Merrill itself. Um, it's sort of like going to a hospital. You can go to the greatest hospital in the world, but if your surgeon's a clutch, you die anyway. Um, so Merrill's kind of the same thing. Which broker do you get when you call Merrill? And what is that broker's level of experience and training? What is and their personal... A, and it's always, Rick, a different broker and different trainers. Training. Well, that's, that's because they have what's called the broker of the day. If you make a phone call... Um, the, the person who answers the phone or who gets that lead, so to speak, is the person assigned to take phone calls that day, and it's different from tomorrow or the day after. And that person's philosophy, that person's methodology, that person's opinion about the markets or strategies are different from the other guy. That's And, and that's just the way that they operate. And that creates a conundrum for consumers because the, when you call Tuesday, your experience will be different than if you called Wednesday. Uh, and it's a bit of a challenge. And besides, what is the qualification? What is the experience? Merrill made an announcement uh, not long ago that they're going to hire 2,000 advisors this year. Um, most that they hire are either fresh out of college or they're career changers, people with no prior experience. And Merrill will get them trained and get them licensed and then put them in an office and away they go. And the, according to the industry statistics, 50% of all the people who get in the business at Merrill or at the other firms, 50% of them quit within one year or get fired because they're not able to generate enough clients or assets to be profitable for themselves or their firms. Uh, in year two, another 50% quit 
by the end of year three, only 10% of that original group of 2,000, only 10% of them will still be in the business. And if you look at the big box firms, uh, a vast majority of them have less than five years of experience. And that raises an issue for the consumer. I understand the business model of the firms, but from a consumer perspective, this is a bit disconcerting because I don't think you want to take your life savings and give it to someone who has very few years of experience and who may not be in business in a couple of more years and whose advice and strategies are unproven and undeveloped and different from everybody else in the firm. So how do we handle it in our firm, which is the question that you asked? We're really different uh, in our approach. For one thing, we're not huge. I only have 100 advisors in my firm. We don't have 15,000. And the reason is that we, when we bring on advisors, we do so by onesies and twosies. Um, We look for talented, experienced advisors. They typically have to have 10 years of experience or more. Uh, in the industry. They have to prove and have demonstrated experience as a financial advisor working for individuals. They also must be like-minded. In other words, in my firm, we have a specific philosophy and methodology to every aspect of personal finance, from credit and debt uh, to mortgages to employee benefits Wills and trusts and estate planning, college planning, financial planning, buying homes, leasing cars, uh, inheritances to children, charity and philanthropy. We have a specific point of view. Frankly, it's mine. And every advisor in the firm espouses the very same approach. So it's what I like to refer to as the Starbucks model. You know, you can go to any Starbucks in the world and you know what your experience will be. You know what the coffee will taste like. We try to do that very same thing in our firm so that the client isn't dependent on the whims of an individual advisor. They don't have to worry what will the advice be of this person uh, and what are the skill set of that person. We want our clients to know that the advice they receive from our advisors is identical to the advice they receive from me so that we have continuity in the client experience from the very initial contact all the way through to ongoing client service for decades. And That's, that's great, Rick. I mean... Uh, well, it's great if. if it's only great... Yeah, it's only great if you like my advice and if you agree with it. So that means you need to learn what my advice is. You need to understand our approach to financial planning and investment management. And the best way to do that is to listen to this radio show, read my books, go to my seminar, see if you are indeed like-minded. Do you like our approach? Because we're not for everyone. I'll tell you that up front. We try very hard to identify when we're a right fit for the client. If we are, we're going to have a really good long-term relationship and everyone's going to be very happy. If it's a bad fit, people will be annoyed. I'll give you an example. We're not market timing day traders, picking stocks. So if you like to do that, if you want to know what's the market doing today and what am I doing about it, uh, we'd not, we would not be a good fit. But if you're trying to achieve goals, if you're trying to get your kid through college and prepare for your own retirement and secure uh, your, your aging parents, uh, and you're focusing on your goals, that would make an awful lot of sense in a highly diversified portfolio environment. Um, so 
I hope that's helpful to you. In my book, The Truth About Money, I have part 13 called How to Choose a Financial Advisor. I encourage you to read that because it'll tell you how to interview advisors to make sure you find an advisor who's right for you. And I'll see you next week. RickEdelman.com, 888-PLAN-RICK. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.